We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to see you this morning. You know, Proverbs 11 says a false balance is an abomination. I feel like we're a little lopsided here this morning. I don't know what's going on, but uh, it is good to see everyone. Glad that you're here. Glad that if you're joining us on Facebook Live, we're glad that you're with us. Hope you send a little message in and say hi to everybody here at uh, HBF, and they'll get back with you in due course. So glad that you're with us. I always say I hope you can join us soon, but maybe that's not the case. And if you're uh, obviously uh, someone that's not here because of health reasons, we're glad that you're joining us, and we will try to reach out to you this week. Uh, that song set was good. It was, I was just listening to that in the context of everything that's, that's going on. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, song that we sang about lifting holy hands, I thought about in Numbers, you know, Jesus Christ goes out as uh, Moses, Aaron and Hur lift up Moses' hands, and he's praying, and his arms get tired. You know, sometimes it's hard to pray. Have you ever, like, taken our, just go to our, like, if you use Shelby next, go to our members list and just pray through all the members in our members, just the regular, just the members, not everybody in the list. And, man, I tell you what, your arms will get tired. And so we need to come around each other and be praying for one another. And uh, that for that other song prior to that, uh, Praise Adonai. I was sitting there thinking, Adonai, I don't, a lot of times we sing songs like that, we don't really know what does Adonai mean. And uh, it's a really cool reference from Psalms 110 and verse 1. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And uh, the word Adonai is not the same as Jehovah, but it is because it's tra- God has translated it for us. The Lord said unto my Lord. So it's like the Father speaking to the Son, the Messiah. It's a, and so uh, it's the Godhead talking uh, to itself. So it's a really cool uh, incredible passage tucked in the Old Testament. And so that word Adonai is uh, in reference to Jesus Christ, who is Messiah. And so I just mentioned that because it really is important during, you know, there's a lot of hysteria going on. Some of it's, uh, most of it isn't based in fact, if you actually read facts. And some of it is obviously important and serious. There are people that, that uh, have reason and to be concerned because of serious illness. Uh, but the reality is, is at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is our hope. And he's gone out and he's fought the battle. He's already won. But we do have that burden, like Moses, to lift up our hands and pray and to do our part and watch Jesus go out and discomfit the Amalekites. And so he goes before us. And I'm really going to be talking about that even this morning. We're in the the book of Acts, Acts chapter 23. We're going to finish up this morning this chapter. And um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. We'll be on page 1490, Acts chapter 23. You know, this third message in our series, Triumph Over Trouble, is really a great time. I mean, this is a time in which the world uh, literally feels like there's trouble. And, um, you know, tr- trouble's relative. I was thinking about that on the way in. Uh, you know, finding out that you have uh, this virus versus finding out you have terminal cancer, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we can be concerned about, most of which is what if we don't, where are we going to spend eternity? Where are you going to be if you die? And don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is the most pressing uh, health concern any person on the planet has. And that really is the business in which we are about here at HBF. And I know a lot of people don't fully grasp or understand that. It's ironic because everyone is 100% terminal. I mean, you don't know anybody that's conquered sin and death other than Jesus Christ and those who have placed their faith in him. But we don't see the evidence of those that place their faith in him until the resurrection. So this whole thing is operational by faith, and faith is so important. And so the church in this time uh, specifically has a really unique role because 
um, we don't believe in, in you know, um, um, uh, what's that stuff that, uh, that tastes really sweet, Amy? You like that? You like it? Huh? No. When you go to the fair. No, I'm not talking about medicine. I'm shelling, you guys, I'm really revealing that, that my biggest ailment is my mind. Uh, I'm in trouble. Uh, cotton candy, right? The church is not, cotton candy. The church is not about cotton candy, right? And uh, sweet little things that, uh, that you eat, and it just dissolves in your mouth and goes away. And I tell you, the world thinks that what we do at church is really kind of like that. It's cotton candy. It's nice. It's sweet. You know, it's good to have a little cotton candy. But when you need something really, really to help you, that's not going to help. And it's actually 100% the opposite. By God's grace, we are a sweet saver, right? And, uh, but the reality is we, we're like honey. And uh, we have medicinal value because we are, we're here to represent the Lord Jesus. And he has the answers. He is the bread of life. And so uh, I'm just excited in a way to just to be able to, to know Jesus in any trouble because no matter what our trouble, sin has been dealt with and, and it's been conquered. And so we've been going through this series on um, <clears throat> triumph over trouble. And, and wow, all of a sudden we find our world in a sense where they feel like they're in, in some peril and trouble. And, and there are people, seriously, there's a man, I guess, down here in, in uh, um, Henry County that has this virus and they've shut down the hospital. It's serious. By the way, Man, uh, New Life, it's awesome to have you guys here with us today, those that are here. So, man, give them some love. <clears throat> Be praying for them as they, they have a new, they, you have a place next week, another place to meet today. They couldn't meet, obviously, they meet in a public building, and that was shut down. So, by God's grace, they got a place to meet next week. So, praise God for that, and uh, we're thankful for that. And uh, continue to pray for New Life, and pray also, they're looking for a building, actively looking for a building, a, a regular permanent home, uh, clothes to put on the body. So please uh, pray with us that God gives them that and give them $100,000, whatever you need to do, just to help them along. <clears throat> and so praise God for that. Well, I have myself on a clock, but I'm in trouble already. Uh, so I can't think of a more appropriate time really for this mini-series as we're faced with a lot of troubles today. Some are very serious and others not so much. Um, there's some people that are, are part of our body, really, who are fighting for their lives. And uh, there are others who are upset because, you know, they don't have enough toilet paper. And so, uh, you know, there's the gamut. I'm not saying in our church. I'm just saying. <laughs> trouble's relative, but troubles do come. They come in many shapes and sizes. And one of the greatest things that we can count on, though, is the Lord Jesus Christ because he does deliver us from all our trouble. So um, if we're born again, right, it's, it's settled. And so in weeks past, I've encouraged us to, to, to really focus on a couple verses. Romans eight thirty seven. you don't have to look it up. Most of us know it. Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors, right, through him that loved us. And then 2 Corinthians two fourteen, another passage we're familiar with. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph, in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. So our victory is to be tasted by others in other places. Even today there are people in difficult places suffering what we would consider real trouble, uh, difficult times, and they're able, because of technology, to taste and savor the victory that God has given us. And, and uh, we praise God and we rejoice in the faith that he's given them. And we covet their earnestness and, and they covet our liberty and 
uh, and they know ours is a blessing from God, and we know theirs is a crown and, and, and glory. And so we, we, just, we just rejoice mutually, right, that God has triumphed over trouble. It's, it's an incredible thing. And, and so we last found ourselves in, in, um, uh, in this passage in Acts chapter 23, and, uh, you know, Paul, in verse 11, was encouraged by the Lord. So I just want to click into that piece and pick up the text where we left off. And um, <clears throat> thank you, Vanna. And so uh, she brought me my glasses, which I forgot. I will need those directly. Someone said the other day, have you thought about investing in like the regular glasses? And I'm like, no, I haven't. I'm not going to do that right now. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I want to click this piece, verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, let's look down in chapter 23, verse 11. Following, the Lord stood by him, him being Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And so uh, the title of today's message is No Weapon Formed Against Thee Shall Prosper. And it's taken from Isaiah fifty four seventeen. Uh, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that, th- that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. What an incredible promise that is. In our text this morning, we certainly see the Lord fulfilling this in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that you'll be encouraged as you know the Lord is delivering you from all your troubles. Whether it's a fight for life or a fight for toilet paper, whatever it is, it's serious to you. Know this, that the Lord will deliver you from all your troubles. Acts chapter 23, look at the text with me. We're going to read the remainder of this chapter and we're going to pray and ask the Lord to break it out for us. Verse 11, and the, and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And when it was day, certain of the Jews uh, banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were <clears throat> more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now, therefore, ye which uh, counsel, uh, I'm sorry, ye with the counsel signify the chief captains that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though he would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we or uh, he come near are ready to kill him. When Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man under the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who has something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and, and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that Thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there is, for they, I'm sorry, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath, and they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, uh, ready, looking for a promise from thee? So the chief captain then let the young men depart and charged him, See thou, tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, 
Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea and horsemen three score and ten and spearmen 200 and, and, a, and a, at the third hour of night of the night. Verse 24, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on, bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And at this point, <clears throat> Claudius, which is the name of the chief uh, captain, writes this letter. It says in verse 25, he wrote a letter from this manner. Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army, and I rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. That wasn't true. And when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions or of, the, of, of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to, this, to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, that's the end of his letter, then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to uh, uh, Anita Paris, Pardis, I think is how we say that. I'll get it later. And on the morrow they left the horsemen, <clears throat> on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle. When, uh, who, when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, he said, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to just uh, re- rehearse this, review it, to see it again this week, and pray, God, that it will just help us understand how to have uh, triumph over uh, trouble. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you also just help us rest in your provision. Lord, there is no weapon that is formed against us that will prosper, yet you left Paul in prison because you were using his circumstances for your honor and glory. Help us just to see that this morning, to, to really unpack all this and really understand and, and get a hold of what it is that you're doing in regard to your mission in our lives in any trouble. Even though we do have triumph over trouble, you allow trouble to get glory, to bring honor and glory to your name. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we, like Paul, would behave ourselves wisely, that we'd rest in your provision, and that we would trust your decisions. We just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we see that no matter what trouble came to Paul, the Lord delivered him out of it. Now, we know that Paul was a little bit, you know... uh, concerned about the the hebrews and he made his way there to to uh, to preach to them and how that all went down it didn't go very good that doesn't mean though that that uh, just because god delivers us out of everything that we should be foolish and rash and uh and some might read this even paul might have thought maybe i shouldn't have done this this isn't going very well but the lord stands stands with him and the lord encourages him and so uh just because the lord will deliver us out of trouble doesn't mean that we won't suffer trouble or that we won't suffer in trouble but at length god allows our suffering to advance his mission and get the gospel where it needs to go on time. Which, when you read the text that we just read, that promise that that Jesus gave Paul cheers him up. Hey, listen, don't worry, Paul. You're going to get to run your race. You're going to get to go to Rome, just like I told you you were going to do. Okay, that's all I need to know. I need to know that I'm on, on track, I'm going forward, I'm doing what God called me to do. That's what Paul needed. That's what we need. Now, if our life really isn't wrapped up in doing what God wants us to do, you're going to have a great conflict. You're going to be swallowed up with a lot of care. You're going to be... Uh, you're going to have a lot of trouble in your heart that's not going to be 
uh, very easy to fix until you get yourself right with the Lord. But, but part of, of uh, God causing us to triumph over trouble is neutralizing the effectiveness of the adversary's weapons. And so uh, on the screen, you see, I, I picked the biggest weapon I could think of, which is nuclear weapons in an earthly sense. And no matter what the adversary throws at us, God is able to neutralize it. You know, I was watching a professional fight the other day, and it seemed like the aggressor, man, he had the fight. And uh, he was just go- going after uh, the taller, really, the, 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 the guy had the reach was losing. Uh, this little guy was a tank, and man, he was landing shot after shot after shot, which, forgive me, ladies, if you're not into... Uh, the blessed, you know, ministry of boxing. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, uh, the guy that was just getting whipped, I mean, I don't remember what round it was in, but it was down, the, it looked like he was going to be a loser. He found what he needed. He found a, a left uppercut right to, the, right to the stomach. And man, he just kept landing it, and he kept landing it. Next thing you know, all of a sudden, this dude who was just so effective, uh, this tank of a man who was certainly going to win, Next thing you know, you see him backing up, dropping his hands, kind of, kind of starting to get away from the guy because all of a sudden the guy found something to neutralize him. And uh, I tell you what, it was an incredible thing to, to see as uh, the aggressor's abdomen <laughs> eventually got exploited and neutralized all those furious blows that he was throwing, and eventually he lost the bout. Now, sometimes we have to endure some furious attacks, but God always gets the victory. We saw last week, you know, Paul got, he got smacked right in the mouth. That was not easy for him to endure, but he did. And God gets the victory. God neutralized all of that. At the end of the day, we win. Remember Brian Calloway last fall at the Bible conference? He told us that. He's like, being a Christian is, is, is like watching the victory in reverse. I can't tell you how many times Amy and I have sat and watched uh, the playoffs in the Super Bowl. I mean, this, se- this season was incredible, and we know who's going to win. But it's still enjoyable to know we got the victory, isn't it? You know? And so as Christians, we win. We know how the story ends. But it's really awesome to see the drama unfold over and over again. And really, that's really what we're doing is we're living through this, this, this history that God has placed in the Word of God. We're actors in, the, in what He is doing. And it's His story. And it's awesome when we, by faith, trust the Lord. Even when we take blows and we suffer, knowing that no matter what we go through, at the end... We've got the best comeback story the world has ever seen. Even if you put us six feet under, it doesn't matter. We rise again. Not only do we rise again, but then God cleanses us, and we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and he cleanses us, and he puts us in, in, in white robes representing the righteousness of the saints, and we enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we return victorious right, to execute justice and judgment with him on this earth. I mean, what an incredible victory lap we get to take amen i mean it's incredible how this how these how all of this ends that is what the bible says and so we win even if we die we get the victory so triumph over trouble no weapon formed against thee shall prosper why because christ encourages us in conflict we're gonna we've seen that in verse 11 already but also because christ confounds our conspirators and thirdly because christ initiates relocation for our protection he didn't just allow paul to stay there he's like it's time to move on paul i'm going to relocate you for your own protection also so he could provide avenues for him to fulfill his mission so in verse 11 which we've already seen we see that christ encourages us in conflict how does he do that first he encourages us in our circumstances 
So oftentimes, I've been there, you know, I, I've, you heard me quote from this pulpit, you know, uh, Southwest Airlines, I just want to get away. You know, Paul, I mean, uh, David was like that, man, if I could just be a bird and take flight. I mean, I think all of us have felt like there's circumstances that are so heavy, that are so pressing, that you just, if you could just, just fly away, just get away, just get, escape it, you would. But sometimes God says, no, that's not what I need of you. You, you are a soldier. You're my son, but you're also serving as a soldier in my kingdom. And right now, a son is like a, a servant, right? Galatians speaks of that. A child, as long as an heir, as long as he's a child, different. Nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, though we may inherit everything. Right now, we're under the tutor and the governorship of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, in the local New Testament church. So we're to serve. We're to go where we're supposed to go. We're to be where we're supposed to be. Why? Because we don't get the inheritance until later. So we'd like to fly away, but you know what? We're not called to it. I'm sure there's many a soldier in a foxhole that would like to say, you know what? I think I'm going to get out today. I'm going to go home and have a vacay. You know, I'm going to get out of here. It's time for me to take leave. But guess what? You don't have that option. I was talking to Joe Sparks one time. He told me what it was like on Okinawa. And uh, uh, he said there was no discharge. No, didn't matter what happened. There was no exit strategy. You go forward and you die, or you go forward and you don't die. That's the only option. And it's hard for us to imagine, you know, that kind of intensity. Um, for some of us, some, some of you guys have probably been there, but the reality is that's, that's, a, that's a lot to bear. But spiritually, we're not discharged either, are we? We have to go forward. Paul has to go forward. And Christ, what he does is in certain circumstances, encourages us. And that's what we saw in verse 11. Just to take you back there once again, just to quickly look at this. He says, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Now, we've covered this ground, so I won't tarry long. But he meets us in our circumstances. The Lord stood by him. Uh, Though he was in him, Jesus did this because Paul needed the encouragement. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 that the Lord encourages us. Paul said there, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all, not some, all our tribulation, that we comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's a great passage. What, the, what does that mean? There are times in the body of Christ where God has allowed you to suffer and then experience his comfort. Why? So that you can go to others and tangibly stand with them and bring comfort on behalf of the Lord. So when Paul ta- calls us ambassadors, when he calls us, uh, you know, we're here to represent Christ, he's not kidding. We are here in Christ's stead, not only reconciling men to God, which is obviously our primary purpose, but also in regard to the body of Christ, we are also oftentimes the ones that need to come along somebody, get in their corner and say, hey, be a good cheer. God has a plan for your life. He's going to get you where you need to go. In this crisis that the world's facing, this is a great time to come around people and just say, hey, be of good cheer. Man, the antidote is here, and it is Jesus Christ. And so, I mean, hey, God is so good. So we ended on that point last week, and I, and I won't belabor it, but it is important, and it's worth noting that Paul ends his ministry with the Lord standing with him before Nero. And in 2 Timothy 4.16, he said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. We know men, churches, right? They let you down. It happens because, well, they're made of clay. But God will never let you down. Paul says, and Paul wasn't mad about it. He says, I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Paul says, I understand. I'm just like them. 
Verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, he says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. Now, what a privilege that is. You know what Paul says? You know what? The Lord stood with me. Yeah, the Lord's in Paul. Paul's the one who wrote, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul understood that the sealing of the Spirit of God. He understood the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But there were times in his life where he needed to know the Lord was standing with him. Right? So why? So he could preach the gospel. You know, God could write it on the wall. He did it with Daniel. Uh, he could write it in the air. He could send the birds and chirp a little message in the air. I mean, he could do whatever he wants. God could get the message across. But Paul says, man, the Lord stood with me so I could preach the message. God wants us to stand with him. It's not so much just that Jesus is standing with Paul, but look at this thing. Why is Jesus standing with Paul? Because he's right where Jesus needs him to be. Paul's standing with Jesus. So when there's a crisis, man, that's the first thing you need to check. And there's trouble. Man, am I standing where I'm supposed to be? Am I standing with, am I standing with Jesus? Man, when you're standing with Jesus, you know what? You're going to find out he's standing with you. And man, that is such a great relief. Why? So you can preach, so I can preach the gospel. So we can preach the gospel. This morning, now if you can't be here because of you know, the virus and all that, I get it, I understand. But we're here, right? And I'm talking to everybody who's listening, whether you're here in the building or not. We are here at this moment in time in God's story to stand with Christ. To stand with the truth of God's word. Not to get caught up in a hysteria of toilet paper. Right? I heard a funny joke in the foyer. I don't think I should tell it. But I've heard a couple. I had, a, I had, a, I had some jokes this morning. But I, I'm like, this is not the time, guys. So uh, I'll tell you later. But anyway. It's, you know what, it is good to laugh, too. Uh, uh, it's good to laugh. Like Daniel in the lion's den, Paul knew the power of God's deliverance. He understood God's ability to deliver. Sadly, many Christians will never know that kind of deliverance because, well, they flee the face of danger at the first sign. I mean, they just flee. When God's called them to stand, there is a time to flee. You know, Joseph fled right on time, man. As soon as there was temptation, he ran. There is a time to run, right? Run from temptation every time. So I'm not saying you stand, but there's also a time to stand. There's a time to stand. And, and so, and, and by the way, I'm not talking about staying home and all of that because of the, certain, the, the, the uh, situation right now. So I don't want anyone to convolute that or conflate any of that. But there's a time, spiritually speaking, when we've got to stand. Christ encourages us despite our circumstances. And, uh, and so when we think about the situation, Paul placed himself in trouble. <laughs> you say, well, Brian, you're going too far. I don't think so. I've already laid that out. Agabus made it very clear in Acts 21, 10 through 11. A prophet came and said, Paul, you, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound. Well, here's Paul. He's in prison or, by the Romans, and he's bound. I mean, he's not going anywhere. Uh, that's what Paul was ready for. He says, hey, I'll die here. That really wasn't Paul's concern. I think what Paul was probably sulking over was the fact that nothing happened among the Jews. He's just hoping beyond hope. His heart's desire and prayer is that they might be saved, that somebody would soften up and somebody would receive the gospel. I think the Lord admired the fact that his son Paul would go out and preach regardless. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus looks for. In Acts chapter 21 and verse 10, Agabus 
warned him, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Paul, prophetically, he knew that was coming. He's no, it's no surprise. Guess what? I'm in the hands of the Gentiles. <laughs> you know, that's what, that's, what, that's what Agabus said. I'm willing to die. That's what Paul said. I'm willing to die, whatever it takes. And I'm sure Paul was reflecting on all of that when the Lord showed up and said, Hey, Paul, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, Paul. Even when we find ourselves in situations that seem fruitless. By the way, I think that was probably what was bothering Paul. Paul wanted to see fruit. He's probably sitting there thinking about John chapter 15. Man, I, I need to have some fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. He's had all kinds of fruit among the Gentiles, but there's zero. There's goose eggs at the, on this trip to Jerusalem. And he's, he's probably a little bit concerned about the, the hardness of their heart and how it is that he was able to get saved, but so many others just like him are still locked in unbelief. It should trouble us that people are locked in unbelief today. That should, that should, that should weigh on us. But God's going to come alongside us and say, be of good cheer. Keep on preaching because I'm going to take you where you need to go. Keep on preaching. Keep on preaching because at the end of the day, that's how we glorify God. You know, Christ encourages us because he is using our circumstances. You know, what encourages Paul is not escaping from his circumstances, but God using them to accomplish his mission. When you go back and read verse 11, that's actually what is, well, that's why Jesus says, Hey, Paul, be of good cheer. You will accomplish the mission of God. Be happy that in spite of everything else, you are still on track. Man, you can endure a lot of hardship when you know that you're right where God wants you to be. And so I praise God that, that uh, God uh, has that kind of relationship with Paul. I pray that he has it with me, and I pray that he has it with you as well. It may not look like Paul was successful in Jerusalem, but Jesus said to Paul, Hey, Paul, this is a dry run. What you've experienced here... Go back and look at verse 11. That's what he says. Paul, as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You know the hardships you faced here, Paul? Getting almost pulled asunder, getting hit in the mouth, getting caught up in a, in a lot of trouble. That's, that's what's been waiting you at Rome too. So this is a dry run. And I'm with you here. I'll be with you there. We've already seen that Paul wrote that very thing that, you know, when no man stood with me, the Lord stood with me. Now, in this story, we saw someone stand with Paul, didn't we? We saw God provide someone to bring encouragement to him and help him out of this trouble. We are to be a witness for Christ, and, and that is what pleases him. No one wants uh, to, the results more than Christ. I mean, you know, we think we want results. God really wants results. I mean, he didn't give his life so nobody would get saved, but he's willing to give his life, I believe, even if nobody would get saved. Some of the best results are when we witness and no one responds. You know why? Because it does something in our heart. It tries our heart. That's what Thessalonians says. You know, when we preach the gospel, it tries our heart. And so it's been entrusted to us. It's, it's then when we realize what it is like for God to, to love the world and the rejection that he faces. You know, as I've been put in the trust with the gospel, so also I speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth my heart. That sounds exciting when you're charging hell with a squirt gun and you expect people to make decisions. and It's so great. It isn't so great when you charge hell with a squirt gun and you preach your guts out and then people walk out the door. And it was like water off a rock. How do you feel about that, preacher? Uh, not too good. That's when the Lord comes along and, alongside you and says, it's okay. You're still on track. 
I just need somebody to witness. I need somebody to proclaim the good news. Why? Because Jesus Christ, is, is, it just demonstrates his love. He extends his hand. It is not short that it cannot save. It is not God's desire to see people saved that's lacking. It is the hard heart of man. And because we're saved, that should just grip us because it could be, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there are we, right? Sitting in hardness and rejection of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's chew up a little bit more of this because we understand that Christ, uh, he gives us triumph over trouble. There's no weapon that's formed against us that'll prosper. And there's times when we just need encouragement, right? Encouragement in the battle. And that's what he brings the apostle Paul. But there's also ways that he does that. And one of the ways is we get this encouragement because he confounds our conspirators. If you don't think there's a conspiracy, if you say the word conspiracy, you got the tinfoil hat on, you know, you're crazy. But we know from Genesis to Revelation, there's lots of conspiring. There's lots of movements going on. God versus the devil. That is the essence of what's going on from Genesis to Revelation. And we know who wins. There's all kinds of conspiring going on. In this case, we kind of get to see a microcosm of it. And so I want us to consider these conspirators. Number one, in verse 12, as you look down there, it says, it says and, uh, and when the day was... And when it was day, I'm sorry, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And so the conspirators, first of all, we see the conspirators are banded together. You know, a band, like in concert. We just see the, saw the praise band. These men came together working in concert. What were they working in concert to do? To lift up holy hands and pray and ask Jesus to be the deliverer? No, not at all. They came together to kill somebody. That's what they were in concert about. What brought them together was, well, let's kill Paul. That sounds like a good thing, at least in their mind. That reminds me of how Pilate and Herod came together in Luke chapter 23 and verse 12. Do you know that people, there are people that, that are and increasingly will, especially in times of trouble, they will see uh, levity, perhaps, like we just had a little laughter. They may see our, uh, our faith even, our confidence in the Lord. Maybe even what we would consider prudent measures, but, but not overreaching, uh, you know, um, uh, hysteria, for lack of a better word, as irresponsible. Right? And, and things that, 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 you know, that's why we do have to behave ourselves very wisely. Right? We shouldn't endanger others. We shouldn't endanger ourselves and all of those things shouldn't make light of like the current situation. Um, so it's serious, and I get that. But so is the gospel. So is the need to get oppressed. People on this end or people on this end or people who you may never think would come together, can at times come together, can coalesce around one thing. And that is stopping what God is trying to accomplish in God's people. And so we have a band that's working together. They're banded together. They're in concert. Like Pilate was in concert with Herod. They didn't even get along. The Bible tells us in Luke 23 and verse 12, in the, na- in the same day, this is the day that, that Pilate says, you know what, take Jesus over to Herod because he can deal with this. It's sort of like what they're going to do with Paul. Take, take him to Felix. Felix, why don't Agrippa, right? Just, you know, just keep passing the buck. And then Herod wants to see Jesus do some miracle, and he was excited to see him. And then when Jesus doesn't, you know, dance when he pipes, Jesus doesn't answer the way he wants, he doesn't do the miracles, Herod's like, well, beat this guy and send him back. And you know what? The next thing 
Herod and Pilate, they're buddies. And they coalesce around, around destroying, in essence, Jesus Christ. The problem of Christ. For before they were an enmity between themselves. We know that there are over 40 men in this text. There are over 70 elders, or there are 70 elders, and I would suspect some of the elders of the Sanhedrin were probably part of this group, and I'm sure there were some that were dissenters. But there was 40. If there's 70 people in the Sanhedrin, you got over 40 men ready to kill Paul. I suspect a good number of the Sanhedrin were included in that. So even if you said, wait a minute, this is a just man, you're going to get overridden. What we do know is, is all of them saw what they were doing as their religious duty. I mean, this wasn't just something that they didn't see themselves as murderers. Actually, they saw themselves as, well, advancing the cause of Christ, so to speak. Now, not Christ, they didn't believe in Christ, but in this case, advancing the kingdom of Israel, the promises of Jehovah to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, protecting, perhaps, you know, the law, holding fast to what they had believed. And so they saw this as a duty, that they needed to execute justice and judgment in their mind against Paul because Paul was perverting the right way of observing the law of Moses. Paul understood that. Paul at once was doing that himself. He was the ringleader himself. He was the band leader at one time. And of course, I think many of us have that same testimony. I personally have been given Christians a hard time not knowing that one day I would be one. So when someone looks narrowly at you or says something or flips you off or whatever, takes your track, crumples it up and throws it at you, you got to remember, oh yeah, that was me once. That was me. And you say, well, not me. I've never done that, and I would never would. Well, hey, count your blessings. But you could do that if left to yourself. It's only the grace of God. It's in you. It's only God's grace that it's not you. So in John 16, this is what the Bible says. You see, uh, John 16, turn to that, because don't just look at the screen on this one. Look at this. Jesus is speaking here, and he, and he leaves these words with us. You're only a book away. John 16 And uh, look at verse 1. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. Actually, I just saw Jeff must have been teaching on that this morning. And so he says, Hey, these things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. These things have I told you that when the time shall come, you shall remember that I told you them. And these things I I uh, said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. So after Jesus ascends, now the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has faced many difficulties from the first day till now. But after the church is removed, you know, the, my third point is God removes us. He does remove his bride. And after he does, these, this passage, whew, it's going to be incredible during the tribulation period. What's going to be happening? 
in not short order. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a long time as far as God's timetable. As a matter of fact, it could be even some of the things we're experiencing in a worldwide pandemic and a crisis are just kind of even helping set up things and, and get things in shape so that, well, things can go one way and God can take it the other. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask that we pray for our brothers in places like India right now. We don't have to wait for the rapture of the church or the tribulation period to know that right now there are brothers and sisters being persecuted. I mean really persecuted, not a little bit. I mean, driven over with motorcycles, hanging from trees, or, you know, whatever. And I'm sure some, some have died, some more will die. Not because of the coronavirus, but because of the virus of sin. And there are many, man, the sand of the Middle East, right, in the Muslim countries. How many saints have been, have bled out even in obscurity? We don't even know who they are. In families and, and, and places. How many Christians did ISIS execute? There's, John Fox is not going around writing a new book about it. I mean, there has been a lot in the last decade, a lot of bloodshed. A lot. Real persecution. And people doing it often think they're doing God or their God, small g, a service. But the reason they really are doing it is because they don't know the Father nor His Son. They don't know the Father nor His Son, Jesus Christ. So we we need to be praying for these folks. The price of trusting Christ is often our brother or sister's life. Praise God, many have laid down their lives so they can reveal their faith in Christ and prepare for their return at the second coming of Christ. But we're still here. And you know what we need to do? We need to do what Paul did. And that is preach the gospel. The love of Christ. The goodness of Christ. For those who find solace in banding together against Christ, I will remind you of what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 21. The Bible says, though hand join in hand, you know, like Pilate and Herod, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered even if they die. Now, conspirators against God will bind themselves to a curse. This is an interesting point. You see in verse 12, I noticed this in the Holy Spirit. I was like, wow, how God does this. In verse 12, it says, And when it was day, the certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves. What did they bind themselves? It says, under a curse. They were under a curse, Literally. And what's more interesting to me is that in verse 14 it says, And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we may eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now what they, I know what they mean because they're Hebrews. They're thinking numbers. We have put ourselves under a vow. But it doesn't say a vow. <laughs> now what happens to a vow if you don't fulfill it? Anybody know? Becomes a curse. I know. I'm like, whoa, Holy Ghost, man. He, he put it in here right in the text. They're even saying it themselves, and it is true. It becomes a curse. The consequence for making a vow against God, or making a vow and not fulfilling, it's heavy. As God expects a Hebrew to keep his vow. And in this case, God saw 
the vow was a curse because he, he wasn't going to fulfill it. They can come to Jehovah God all day long and say, hey, we want to kill Paul. Paul's like, or God's like, no, I don't think so. I'm not working with you on this, boys. I've already sent my son and I've sent my witnesses. Uh, no. You just made a, you're, you're, you're in a bad way. Numbers 30 and verse 2, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord nor swear an oath to, to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break this word. He shall do, do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. These men were serious. They thought Jehovah was going to take care of them and they were going to do what God wanted them to do. And the whole time they were under a curse. Isn't that sad to think of the men that have thought they were serving God, killing God's people and the whole time? They're under a curse. The Holy Ghost records it just like that. Because that's exactly what it was. Even the conspirators, according to the text, said that. We're under a curse. Emphasizing if we don't do this, you know, it's good riddance for us. Yes, it is. You know, the conspirators against God always... Also, notice they form councils. I brought this up, so I won't tarry. But in verse 15, you see the word council come up again. Now, therefore, uh, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow. Once again, there's a council, not an S-E-L, but a C-I-L. Every time you find it, says, and, and he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly and so since i've touched on that i'll keep moving but i would just point out that um, the world council of churches has a band they've banded together but that doesn't mean that everything they support is a blessed of, was of god or anything they support as a matter of fact so you got to be ca- careful with religious organizations that like to have a lot of councils just a word of the wise and then this conspiracy against god often uh, conspirators, I'm sorry, against God, often justify murder as a response to truth. Now, that seems crazy, doesn't it? But that's actually what happens. This is the same thing that Cain did when confronted with bringing a, a proper sacrifice. Remember, he murdered Abel instead of purchasing a lamb from the flock. He's like, hey, just bring what God wants you to bring for sacrifice. Go get, go get the sacrifice from your brother Abel. Abel's a keeper of the sheep, man. He's not, he doesn't work as hard as me. I worked hard for, for my crops. I was looking forward to presenting my crops to you. God's like, I know you are, Cain, but you're the older brother. You're going to get the blessing. Just obey me and trust me. Go grab a lamb from your brother and bring that as sacrifice. That is what I'm asking. Of course, you know what happened. He murdered his brother Abel instead of purchasing a lamb. That's exactly what happened with the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they attempted to stop the ministry of Christ. Don't tell us that you're the way, the truth, and life. We got our own way, and it's based on the law, so it must be right. Don't tell us you fulfilled the law, or you're greater than the law. That's blasphemy. We'll kill you. Yeah, because I'm the Lamb of God, Jesus said, that takes away, or, or John said, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Even Jesus said that. Well, do you believe John the Baptist? They're like, oh, we can't say. Right, you can't say, because if he's true then I'm true. <clears throat> this is what the, the countless kinds of magistrates have done throughout the centuries to stop the gospel. And this is what the government of, of places like China does to those who preach the Bible to this day. And this is what the Church of England did to the Lollards back in, 
in the 1500s, 1600s. It's what the Roman Catholic Church did to many, many Bible believers throughout the centuries. This is, this is the history of the church being persecuted. History is replete with conspiracy after conspiracy to stop those who preach God's truth. In this case, in this case or in the case of Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the conspiracy concern, <coughs> conceived is to bring him to death. But God, praise God, gets the victory through his son, right? He dies and he's buried and he's rose again. But I want you to follow me for just one more second to, to consider how amazing it is that God asked Cain to bring a lamb from Abel's flock, which is a type of Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Cain brought a, you know what? Cain brought a lamb for a sacrifice even though he didn't intend to. The lamb that he brought, of course, was his brother Abel. Somebody was going to die. God's like, I wanted you to bring the lamb, not Abel. What happens? Well, we know what happens. Once Abel offers the wrong, or Cain offers the wrong sacrifice, which is his brother Abel, in his anger, he is cursed. Bingo, you got it. And there's a lesson for us here. There's a really good lesson. The aforementioned reality concerning sacrifices applied to these conspirators too. They just heard, a, they were getting ready to hear a message about Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God, the one that stood with Paul in the temple when he first got saved. And his story was about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who had already been slain. And yet they got angry with the messenger and they wanted to, they wanted to slay Paul. Paul, who's Paul compared to Christ? He's just the messenger. He's just a steward of the message. If they would have received Christ, the Lamb of God, it would be to their salvation. It would be to their blessing. If Cain would have received, the, if he had brought the right sacrifice, it would have been to him the blessing. He's the elder brother. God was telling him that. Just get the right sacrifice, man. No, I'm going to bring my own sacrifice, and it's going to be, going to be this man. Forget my crops now. You don't care about my crops. I'll give you something you do care about. And he brings the curse upon himself. These murderous men, man, by wanting to slay Paul, they don't even realize what they're doing. They're bringing a curse upon themselves, for he's, he's justified in Christ. And so there are many men around the world today that inadvertently, just like these men trying to slay Paul, just like Cain wanting to slay Abel, these men are bringing curses upon themselves and we must proclaim the truth and say, Stop! You're condemning yourself! Stop! You need the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He has already died for you. Get the right sacrifice, man. Works won't get it done. So consider this conspiracy. This was a well-planned, thought-through and I don't have time to work it like I wanted to, but in verses 14 and 15 it says, And they came to the chief priests. They knew what they were doing. And the elders, and they said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse, and we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. So do this for us. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though he would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. I mean, I feel like I'm reading the Godfather here. They're like, hey, listen, you just deliver him up, and if I don't kill him, my brother over here will. 
You don't worry about who. You just bring him in and we got it all covered. We're so tight that every one of us is bringing a shank and we're all going to get him. He is not getting away. And that's serious. It's amazing. So let me just practically tell you, they were all ready to kill. Or they weren't part of the band. You know, we got young men in this country right now. They'll jump in with a band of boys that want to be men. And you know how they do it is they have to jump in and be willing to kill. It's sad, man. That's just wicked. But you want to jump into this band? You want to jump into the band of Jesus Christ? You want to get in with his group? You know what? You got to be willing to die. That's how it works. So count on Christ to confound the conspirators, because that's what he does. In Proverbs 15, 3, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. Proverbs 21, 30 says, There is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsels against the Lord. Proverbs 30, 28 says, The spider taketh hold with her hands in king's palaces. But you know what? You cannot hide from the eyes of the Lord. You think, man, I don't, God's not around. No, he's got the spider web, man. He's in, there's nowhere you can go. There is no place of power. There is nowhere that you can run from God. God knows what's going on. There's no wisdom. There's no understanding. There's no counsel against the Lord. You're not going to conspire to stop God. Anything you do is going to backfire eventually. Because Jesus has already won. We were watching a a true crime thing the other day. And it was amazing. This guy, I don't know his name. Do you remember the name of that criminal that they had on there? Anyway, this criminal, he's, he's incredible. I mean, he's escaping jail, videotaping himself escaping jail. This literally happens. And, and uh, he's so arrogant. He's so prideful, just like the devil. Anyway, he's out running the streets. He ends up in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, and, and uh, nobody can find the guy. God provides this, this homeless man who just happens to be like, you know, Rain Man or something, and he's obsessed with news stories. So he's just going through papers. That's what he does all day on the streets is go through papers and read the news. And he literally goes to the paper thing. He, he tells the story himself, the homeless man. He looks up, and there's the guy. I know about this story because I read it in the paper. He's a criminal. Hey, such and such is right here, and, and God nabs the guy, puts him back in jail. I'm just watching that going, man, that's, that's the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, all <laughs> in the good and the evil, man. I'm like, that is incredible. God wanted that guy in jail. He used a homeless guy to get him there. What are the odds of that? Unbelievable. We see that God uses Paul's blood nephew to reveal this conspiracy. His sister's son, it says, down in verse 16, and when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul, Huh. There's a lot of discussion about, well, were they believers? Were they not believers? We aren't really told. Many people doubt it because obviously they're still tight with the Sanhedrin and that's how they knew. But you know what? They they realized that Paul, no matter what the situation, this just wasn't just. I mean, the Romans knew this wasn't just. He sends the letter. He says, "This, this guy's not worthy of death under their law. These people, these guys knew that, man, Paul's talking about the resurrection. The Pharisees in the group, they're, they're kind of like, let's hear more. But there's some people that want Paul down. And God allows his nephew 
the son of his brother-in-law, who's obviously tied in in some fashion to the, the leadership, the elders of the nation of Israel, those that were at his very hearing, to be privy, they catch wind, or somehow his sister catches wind. Somehow his nephew gets to him and says, Hey, Paul, this is what's going down. And the chief captain then takes the nephew. Paul's like, Hey, go over here, and I need you to go talk to the chief captain. And so the centurion obeys Paul. Paul had a good rapport with these guys. Now he's a Roman citizen. Now they're treating him right, and they take him. I like what it says. This is crazy. Look at this in verse 19. It says, Then the chief captain took him by the hand, the nephew, and went with him aside privately and asked him, What it is that thou hast to tell me? I read a few commentaries on this, and I, don't, I, hate, to, I hate to keep disagreeing with these commentaries, but they make this, this Roman centurion, or this Roman, uh, not centurion, but the chief captain out like he's some angel from God. I, I honestly think the guy was probably, from what I know about him historically, I suspect he was probably thinking somebody was bringing him some cash. I really do. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But whatever the case, he takes the boy by the hand and he, he gets with him privately and finds out the whole conspiracy. You can read it. We've already read it once. And then he realizes, oh, I've got to get this guy out of here. And you know what? He does. The entire plan is laid out in private. He says, don't tell anybody. And, of course, he wouldn't do that. He didn't cover anything up, to his credit. And then he, tur- and he makes a quick decision. And so Christ then initiates the relocation for Paul's protection. And God will do that for us, too. You know, there's coming a day before the Great Tribulation where we're going to hear a trumpet blow. God's going to catch us away. It doesn't mean our job is done. No, we're still coming back. But he's going to prepare us for our coming. But I want you to notice the moves of this chief captain. He does do some things that are pretty impressive, at least to me. And it kind of gives you a sense of why people would definitely want to pay attention when the Romans were in charge. Because they, they, they didn't take any time here. They didn't tarry. They were ready to act. So he took him and he brought him, in verse 18, to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately asked, and asked him, What is that that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed uh, to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow to the council, as though he would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not yield unto them, for they, they lie in wait for him more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath. He says oath. That they will neither eat nor uh, drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for promise uh, from thee. These guys are hungry. They want to kill Paul. So their chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou, tell no man that thou, uh, that thou hast showed these things to me. And called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred, and at the third hour of the night, and provide uh, them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring them uh, him safe unto Felix the governor. Now, we get a little timeline here. So by 9 o'clock that night, Paul's going to be ready to be transported by over 400 men. That's like over half the temple guard that the Romans have. They are ready to take him 65 miles away, and they're going to do it right now. Now, we know after the next day is when all this text starts in chapter 23. This all takes place within the span of probably 12 hours. You know, Paul, there's a conspiracy to kill Paul, and then God is moving, countering that to deliver him and move him out of that situation. 
And so we see the chief captain, number one, he acted decisively. He didn't deliberate long at all. He's able to hear this, process it. He has a major plan just like that. And then by 9 o'clock at night, they're ready to go. I mean, he moved some things, got them done quickly. He did it very swiftly. So he, was, he did it decisively. He did it swiftly. And then he did it powerfully. You know, 450 men in a task of transporting Paul 65 miles overnight uh, on horseback. Uh, he makes sure that happens. To, uh, uh, it's Antipatris. I couldn't pronounce it right earlier. Antipatris, verse 31, is where they're going, which was built by Herod the Great. It's a citadel where Felix is, is governing from. He's like, let's get him up there. Let's put this under Felix's uh, domain. And the, I was looking at the average horse. If it gallops about 15 to 18 miles an hour, that's, three, that's at least three hours if you just straight through. So, man, they were making, some, they were making tracks. But you know the Romans, uh, if you study much about Roman uh, military history, these folks could move. Just like if you watch, it's amazing if you just study like Civil War history, how these troops moved on foot. I mean, they, they hiked some miles overnight. They could move some troops. So these guys were ready for battle. They, they were no joke. And he took this very seriously. He puts Paul in the middle of that thing, and he sends him off so nobody's going to ambush Paul. He's going to be taken care of. The chief captain then writes what I really like is, and we're not gonna, we don't have time to look at it, but from verse 25 to 30, he writes this glowing report. <laughs> and when you read it, it he, he kind of makes himself look good. He's like, you know, there was this problem down here in Jerusalem, and I, I, knew, I knew he was a Roman, so I just took care of things. I mean, it's kind of how he paints the picture. Well, yeah, you did know he was a Roman, you know, after Paul revealed he was a Roman. Uh, and, you know, you did know that this wasn't quite right after you put Paul in the middle of a tug-of-war, right? So, you know, he, 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 he paints it the best he can for his boss, which is what we expect from the world. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is there's two different documents. There's one that Luke writes, and there's one that the Roman wrote, and they're not the same. It's just a subtle difference. Same story. Same story. But it's not the whole truth. I'm just saying. If you know where I'm going with that, stay away from the Vaticanus. And by the way, verse 27 is a flat lie. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then, I, then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. I don't think that's what we've been reading about exactly like that. Okay. But this letter, in essence, just to get to the end of the story here, it transfers this jurisdiction to Felix. And it gets it off of Claudius's plate. We find the, the chief captain's name here for history's purpose, Claudius Lysias, in verse 26. So God, this is not a cunningly devised fable. This is what happened. And God moved Paul to Caesarea for his protection. Sometimes, by the way, good place to end, that is necessary. Today we have people that are not with us today, and that's fine. So when people can't be here, there are people, there are some of you I've told not to be here, by the way. And so you're here. I'm glad you're here, but I don't want anyone getting sick needlessly. Sometimes God moves you for your protection. So I just want folks to know that. If you're watching on Facebook, we're glad you're with us. Hey, should to do? Stand with Jesus. Stand with Jesus, knowing this, that we triumph over trouble. No weapon formed against us will prosper, and, and Christ encourages us in conflict. There's going to be conflicts. 
Just be encouraged in the Lord. And you know what? Christ will confound those that would conspire against us. And thirdly, no, and look forward to the day, to that day when God initiates a relocation for our protection. But know this. If you don't see that day and you die first, you still got the victory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.